0: Good morning. So we didn't all get swept away by the flood, right? You guys had some, I had some uh, rain in my uh, backyard and it started to create a pool. I, th- I didn't know I had a swimming pool in the backyard, but it kind of uh, dissipated. But uh, glad that you're all here. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to continue on 1 John. And today we're going to talk about the believer's intimate Relationship. That is, they are children of God. So, if you would turn to 1 John chapter 3 and we're going to pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful this morning that we can call you Father. We could come before you and ask that you would bless this meeting, that you would take your word and pierce our hearts with it. Lord, remind us of the truth. That we have an intimate relationship with you. That it is not simply uh, an acceptance of facts, an acceptance of theology, but is that of a child and a father. We are, we call you Abba, Father. We cry out, the very heart cry of the Christian is Abba, Father. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to understand this text, to apply this text. We pray that we would grow through this, and I pray, Father, if there are those who don't know you, who are not your children, that they would become your children by placing their faith in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. First John chapter 3, First John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has... This hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. He says here that we should be children of God, verse one. Verse two, beloved, now we are children of God. I have a friend, she grew up in Vallejo and she got saved when she was in high school. And as she grew up, she had an older sister, Uh, she lived a normal life, her parents were Christians. In high school, her parents dropped a bombshell. Uh, She did not expect it, but somehow the information came out for a number of reasons. Her parents didn't tell her until high school that she was adopted. And it just kind of rocked her world, right, for a few days at least. And those first couple of days after learning she was adopted, it was very difficult. She struggled with her relationship with her parents. She thought, do they love me as much as my older sister who is a biological child? Do I still have that kind of privilege? Do I still have that kind of relationship? She struggled if it was her right for her to enjoy the same privileges as her sister. She wondered if her parents loved her the same as her older sister. Of course, all of that was wiped away when her parents reassured her of their love. All the same privileges a daughter has remained the same. All the access of intimacy that parents have was still the same. In short, nothing in the relationship changed. The only thing that wavered for a few days was the daughter's, my friend, her confidence in the relationship. Just a little. That was quickly assuaged with reaffirmation of love. You see, at times, we, you and I, are like my friend in those couple of days. There are times in our lives when we just don't feel very much like His children. Sometimes we forfeit our intimacy with Christ because we feel we messed up too much. We sinned too much. We hurt others too much. We thought evil a little bit too much. If, in fact, you are truly a Christian, then you are truly His child. This is the truth that the Scripture is screaming to us. You should enjoy and pursue the privileges you have as His child. And I believe that in this text, God gave this passage to you so that you would be in constant awareness that you are His child. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the sweet intimacy fellowship that you have as a Christian it isn't that you keep doctrine although that is very important it isn't that you have, dot your eyes and cross your t's in all of Christianity it is that you are the child of the living God that as you stand as you sit here today coming in here in this in this cold and blustery day as we are together you can sit there in wonderment in awe and astonishment at the splendor and at the thought that you are are the child of the living God. Now, to live in constant awareness, this is how God desires you to live, that you would be in constant awareness that you are God's child. He does not want you to leave that truth, to doubt that truth. That truth should be sweet to you, brothers and sisters. To live in constant awareness that you are God's child, you've been given three privileges that you must partake in and enjoy every day, okay? Three privileges that you must partake in and enjoy every day. And the first one we see in verse one, verse one, is to relish in God's love for you. You've got to relish in it, saturate in His love, to delight to embrace to swim to immerse to relish that God in fact loves you it's an amazing thought when you look at the mirror and you see your own sins the mirror of God's word and you see you are not quite up to the standard that God has called you to know that besides all that because of the blood of Christ that God in fact has shed His love for you. It ought to cause your jaws to drop. God desires that you do not go, from this text, notice He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. He desires that you do not go a day, not one hour, not one minute, not one second, without being fully convinced and fully comforted With the fact that God loves you greatly. God loves you greatly. Now you notice he says, see how great, and he tells us to stop. That that word there, to see, causes us to catch sight of, to notice, to perceive. It's given as a command, he says, for you to stop. Why? Because we can go through our days to not stop. We can go through our days and, hey, I've got church here. I've got fellowship group here. I've got to do this. I've got work here to stop and reflect that God, in fact, loves you. It is a pause in life. It is a halting in life to think about this and to dwell on this. And he says, how great. So he wants you to think at the very facets, the different facets of God's love for you. Okay, it's as if I remember when I, um, when I got a chance to uh, buy an engagement ring for Jeanette. Right, uh, I was in the city, and I got I got ushered in into this place called the jewelry center where all these guys sell diamonds and and they sell these rocks uh, and these rings separate. And I got in there to this Armenian diamond dealer, and he was selling me these things. And, and I remember I was studying online. How do, you, how do you know which diamond to buy? They say you need to look for cut clarity and color and carrots, right? And you have to look at the diamond, and you study the diamond. And this is, this is, this is the diamond of God's love for you. No, don't rush. We, we rush too much, don't we? Don't rush. Well, I got to commute. Don't rush on this, brothers and sisters. Be comforted in this. When your own sin accuses you, be comforted in this. You are his uses this term, how great, or in definition, it means what sort or what kind. In Matthew chapter 8, do you remember when Jesus was walking on the water and when, when there was a storm and the fishermen were, were scared? These are seasoned fishermen, okay? It's hard to get seasoned fishermen scared, right? When I was a, when we went spearfishing, fishing. I was there with some fishermen, and we were all sick. I mean, every time the boat went, we were just, we were sick, right? We couldn't handle it. The fishermen were fine. They didn't feel it because they were seasoned fishermen. This was at, this storm was so severe that seasoned fishermen were scared. Okay. And they woke up Jesus, we're going to die, we're going to die. Jesus wakes up and says, hush, be still, right? Be still. And then... In Matthew 8.27, the way it says it and uses this word, he says, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So it is this pause and this reflection, this word means to, as one commentator said, it is to imply a reaction of astonishment. Usually of admiration, upon viewing someone or something, the expression conveys a qualitative and quantitative force. In other words, what the Apostle John is saying, if we were to paraphrase it, is what a glorious love, what a measureless love. If you see the depths of my own sin, how I think, how I speak, if you see what I've really done, what a measureless love. He says this love has been bestowed upon us and of course this is the agape love the love that thinks of the object irrespective of what this person of what the lover will get will receive in in kind he says the father has bestowed upon us it was granted by God the father we were at enmity with God and now he is our father he could have picked any other metaphor you have to think about this if God was to pick a metaphor of our relationship he should he could have picked any other metaphor he could have simply said you are my servants and I am your king and there's the relationship employer employee or master slave those are other different metaphors but John by the Holy Spirit, wants you to know that it is simply not a working relationship. That when you get saved, you are not going to be in some different, separate, far apart corner of the room. Kind of like when you're invited to a party and you know no one and you kind of just stay with people you know in one corner because you don't know anyone else and you kind of figure this is all I have to stay in right here. God is not like that with you. You are his child. And as much as you love to see your toddler come to you and hug you, that is exactly the picture that John is giving to his people. You are not banished to the outer corners of the house. right? You're not banished to a different level of intimacy. You are welcomed to him. Now, in chapter 4, if we move on, the apex, this is not a undefined, it is not kind of a, a cloud, an amorphous, a jello-like love we call, uh, sometimes I call it sloppy agafi, which tends to just kind of permeate all kind of evangelical churches right now. That, oh, God loves me, he hugs me with his heavenly hugs, he gives me love and everything, and there is no definite form to it. There's no mention of Christ or the blood of Christ. There's no mention of the gospel. It is the warm feelings that you get from God. That is absolutely true. I don't ever want to take that away. But it is feelings that is based on biblical truth. Christianity is always rooted in biblical truth. And how is this love expressed? Look at chapter 4 and verse 9. He says here, In chapter 4 and verse 9, now he says, let's start at 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I want to know what this love of God is. And John is going to define it in clear terms. That the apex of God's love to you, the very crest itself, is in Christ Jesus. And he says here, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. There is no, this is not just an ooey gooey, amorphous cloud kind of love. This is the love that is defined This is the love that is purchased. And he says here, he is a propitiation for our sins. That Christ himself died on the cross. The word propitiation means it is a satisfying sacrifice for the righteous demands of God upon your life. You owe God righteousness. You owe him a perfect life. Because by virtue of simply being his creature, he is God And he deserves it. And yet, because of your sin, you have flipped him off, so to speak. You have cursed his name. You have rebelled against his leadership. You have denied any leadership or any shepherding over you. And yet, when Christ himself comes, when he came, he said he gives himself as a propitiation. That is, a satisfying sacrifice. So when we think about the love of God, it ought never be separated from the sacrifice of Christ himself. Because that is our access to his love. It is not, God has a wonderful plan for you, think about that, and and that's it. It is not, oh, discover your own mission in life, and that's it it is always biblical love is God's love that is shed abroad for you, defined, centered, focused on the propitiation of Christ himself. Now, we grow, we are called to grow in this realization of his love. God wants you to not sit here and to and to just, okay, that's a nice thing. He wants you to grow in it. Notice in Ephesians chapter 3, and we've spoken about Ephesians chapter 3 in the past, but notice in Ephesians chapter 3, you are to grow in realization of his love. Ephesians chapter 3, notice he says in verse, uh, let's go to 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So Paul is saying, the reason why I pray is that you would be strong, so that you'd be able to fight, so that you would be able to live this Christian life when the coworkers mock you, when the... uh, when your classmates mock you, when they laugh at you when you raise up, well, this is what the Bible says, right? When they smirk when you walk away. He says this, you would be strengthened in your inner man. Well, what is it that strengthens? What is it that causes me to be rooted? He says here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that being rooted and grounded in what? Love. And may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What God desires for you is that you would be a student and a vessel of love. That maturity is knowing Christ, growing in theology, allowing it to affect you. And growing in that love. To learn what the different facets as that diamond is. To, to look at it and, and its beauty. God loves me through the gospel in this way. God loves me through the gospel in that way. He gives me provision to not sin. He gives me strength to get back up and ask for forgiveness. He gives me his hope for tomorrow. Not only are we to see his love in, as an apex in Christ, uh, not only are we to grow in realization of his love, but we are also to be absolutely secure in his love. Notice in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, God, God is saying to us, he doesn't want you to ever doubt that. He wants you to be secured in that. If you do know who Christ is, if you have faith in him alone, he wants you to be lock, stock, and barrel secured in him. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. He says here, in Romans 8 and verse 35, who's going to separate us? He says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ or famine or nakedness or peril? Just as it is written. Look at verse 37. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels Nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 37 we overwhelmingly conquer through what it says here through his love. When we are convinced of that, we have bravery. What's going to bring you courage? Is it, oh, I'm tougher than them, I'm, I'm better than them, I, I, I have better arguments than them when I come and share the gospel? What's going to give you courage? No, it's knowing that God loves you. And this trumps all things. And let me tell you how. When they mock you, you already know you're loved by your heavenly Father perfectly in Christ. When they take things away from you, you already know that you are loved by your heavenly Father who always gives to his children. Whatever they take, it's always going to be returned in Christ. Whenever, Whenever relationships turn sour, you already know what? That God the Father is secure in his love for you. Notice he says here, this is where it has practical application. I'm convinced that neither death... what. Even when I die, even when death separates relationships, oh, I'm weeping and my heart is broken. He says, don't worry about it. God loves you. You see how it works? He says, death or life, no matter what happens in life, he says, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, whatever happens to the Christian brothers and sisters, you can walk through it in Christ. Why? You are fortified, you are strengthened, you are lifted up by His love. He moves, He acts, He loves you, brothers and sisters. And then He says, has bestowed upon us, that is the perfect tense, that means it happened in the past with ongoing results. Well, what's the ongoing results? And now we get to this phrase, okay? This is all still under relish in God's love for you. This is, this is here so that we would meditate and wait and, and swim in this love. He says that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Again, this is not some amorphous cosmic hug, but this is a definite reason. It's not because you are so great, not because God thought you were so wonderful that he had to have you on his team. This is often twisted. I I even see one brother he wrote that we need to realize that we are central object of God's affection. That is false. You're not the central object of God's affection. Christ is the central object of God's affection and because of that because we are linked to Christ then when he looks at us he looks at us with a perfect love. There's a fine line. Yes we are his children Yes, He loves each of us as if there was only one of us, but His love is despite, not because of who you are. His love has been established in the person and work of Christ. You clinging to Him, to Christ, allows you access to that love. And He is not ashamed of you. This is what's wonderful. God is not ashamed of you. He is not like the black sheep of your family. He is not like your... uh, Uh, your drunk uncle when you go to Christmas. Right? He is not ashamed of you. He doesn't disassociate with you. Rather, he delights in his relationship with you, not because of any intrinsic goodness in you, but because of the relationship made possible by his son. Now, some may ask, doesn't God love all people? Yes, In one way, he does. He loves all people. God loves all people. But he loves his children in a different, saving, sanctifying way. This is plainly seen in even our most common relationships. I love children, but I love my kids in a different way. Correct? We love all the kids, but your own kids, you look at them. You tolerate more, right? You're a little more patient, right? With your own kids. Right? I lo- and, or you could see it in marriage. You, you would love all your sisters in Christ, but I have a special husbandly love for my wife. This is God's relationship with His children. God loves all in the world, he, but He reserves a special, saving, shepherding love for His people. To say that everyone is God's children is not a true statement. I know that's what they say, even in political speeches, we are all God's children. That is not true. God defines who His children are, those who have placed their faith in Christ. Who are the children of God? Well, this phrase is used to describe Christians. It's not proper to say that all are God's children. They are identified as those who trust in Christ alone for salvation. We see that, if you want to write this down, Galatians chapter 3, 26. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The people who are the sons of God are those who exercise faith in Christ Jesus. We are identified, God's children are identified as those who embrace Christ. In John chapter 1, Uh, Notice he says here, uh, go to John chapter 1, the gospel of John. The gospel of John. John chapter 1 and verse... Oh, I love this. Verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, as, as many people... As received him, that is Christ, to them, notice he says, to them, only those who received him. Okay, To belabor the point, it is only those who have received him, that is, embraced him, that is, welcomed Christ into them, right? To them he gave the right, that, that word there is the authority, the exousia, the the privilege right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God in other words God is saying when you place faith and when you receive my son you are my child they are also identified as those who are led by the Holy Spirit in John excuse me Romans chapter 8 verse 14 you could write this down for all who are being led by the spirit of god these are sons of god they are identified as those who live righteous look at turn back to 1 john chapter 3 1 john chapter 3 1 john chapter 3 They have a markedly changed life. The direction of their life is absolutely different. And we've seen this all through 1 John. But to speak about this phrase, I cannot skip this verse. Notice in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. And he's going to say it in the strongest possible terms. By this the children of God and the children of the devil. There is no in-between. You're either in Christ or you're not, okay? And if you're not, you're of the devil. That's what the Bible says. You're born in sin, okay? By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are, notice he says, obvious, not ambiguous, not hard to understand, not cloudy, not foggy, not has the jury still out kind of thing. He says, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. You can see. How can you see? By what they say? By the hands they've, they've raised? By the altar calls they went forward? No, he says, the children of God and the children, children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And he adds, there's these two things. Are you living a life that is following after Christ? Are you pursuing Christ? Are you in his word? Do you hate your sin? Do you repent of your sin? Do you, are you seeking fellowship? Are you doing these things, right? And then he says, nor the one who does not love his brother. With that theology and that desire to please him, is it coupled with love for one another? Because to say that you are loved by God and you don't love other people, it's to say you're not Christian. And this is what John is saying. It is obvious. It is clear. It's also identified as those who love God and obey. That would be in 1 John chapter 5. And now he turns, if we go back to the text. As we relish in this love, we are to stop and pause to see how great it is. Because God the Father gave it to us. Because... We are now children of God. and now he says, because you are to you relish in this love, he's, he's telling us that to prepare us for the world that we live in, for the world system that's going to attack, for all of the different philosophies and all the different, and the, all the different worldviews, he's telling us to be rooted in love. That's what's going to get you through. Be rooted in what Christ has said. He says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. What does he mean? He's saying that since we, as his children, share in the attributes of God, we live for him. What he loves, we love. What he honors, we honor. What he hates, we hate. Since the world system hates God, it will hate you and not recognize you of not having anything of worth. Now see, you can hide, okay? And you can keep your mouth shut, right? And that's not the way that God desires for you to live, okay? But when you start to live consistently with what you believe and what God has called you to be, and you stick up for Christ, what's going to happen is, The animosity of the world, the animosity of the devil, the animosity of his people will rise up. They hate God. You cannot be a friend of Christ and a friend of this world. Because once you stand up for the exclusivity of Christ, that he is the only Savior, that you must turn and repent, that is when people get upset. I remember, I I learned this. When I was, uh, when I just got saved in high school, I was so rough, I'm still rough, but I was <coughs> so rough behind the edges, and I remember I had this biology class with Jeanette and we were in, uh, were you in my class? No, you weren't in my class. I had this other biology class that I was taking because I was interested in biology, <coughs> and I just got saved, all right? And she was, the teacher started to teach on evolution. And I just knew a little bit, just a little bit. I just started reading, right? But I knew enough that it said that God created the heavens and the earth. And I knew that evolution was a theory. It was not proven. It could never be scientifically proven because to be scientifically proven, you have to have repeatable results, henceforth the scientific method, right? It could never be proven, right? It's still a theory. And so I said, well, that's a theory. Can I teach, can I say something about creation as a theory, right? And all of a sudden, anger. You cannot say that. And this nice woman, who was my biology teacher, got up, started pointing the finger at me, and I said, whoa, what did I touch on? I didn't realize this, right? The animosity against God. They hate God. They will hate you because you love Christ. Okay. And I remember. Um, I remember this also uh, when I was in um, when I was in college. Uh, I was studying biology, and I I still didn't know where God would have me. I thought he was going to call me into the ministry. So I was studying biology in college, and then I just took so many religious studies courses. Uh, And I wouldn't recommend people do that, right? Because I thought, oh, I could learn more about the Bible and stuff like that. I could grow. I started taking them, and every class attacked Christ. And you could either crumble and not say anything and just be a, and not be a witness for Christ, or say something, right? And I remember I was in this religious studies class. This woman, she was, uh, she's supposed to be this famous religious studies teacher, and I was there. Uh, she was very kind of new agey, right? Uh, she accepted everything except Christ, right? I remember I was in that class, and. I simply said one thing that I thought made sense, right? They all were saying, well, all these religions are correct. They were, that's what they were saying. Everything is correct. Everything is true. And I said, that just can't be, that can't be. They say, why? I said, well, if one religion, and I just said it this way, if one religion says there is one God and another religion says there are many gods, they can't both be true. All of a sudden everyone was angry at me. I, was, I felt like they were stabbing me with their eyes. I was sitting in front because I'm a nerd and I wanted to, I wanted to learn. And they would just said, no, you can't say that. How dare you say that? They're all true. I said, what? And I repeated it again. You can't have a religion in a universe where there's one God and the same time there's many gods. They can't both be true. And they, all of a sudden, they got, they got upset. What are you saying? That Christ is the only one? And they just got upset at me. And I said, God, it's really true. You bring up Christ, they get upset. They get angry. The world system hates God. It will hate you and not recognize you of having anything of worth to say. Okay? And God, yet God calls us to preach the gospel. Isn't it amazing? Right? Knowing what they think of you. I already know. I already know the first reaction is going to be one of incredulity, right? One of disdain. One of mockery, right? It will not rec- the world will not recognize that when you speak from the scriptures, you speak from God's authority. It will not treasure the glory of Christ. It will not honor what God esteems. It will not recognize you as any benefit because it does not recognize Him. The world will not know you because it does not know Him. The Bible says in other, in other terms that the world does not know us because it does not know Him. The Bible calls us aliens in other, things, in other texts, Hebrews, 1 Peter. The Bible calls us strangers and exiles, right? Notice in 1 John, uh, I mean, excuse me, in John chapter 1 again, go back there. This is going to show you, this is mirrored in his other uh, books, but notice in John chapter 1, we read a portion of it, but I have to show you. John chapter 1 and verse 9, the gospel of John, it says, there was the true light that is Christ, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Imagine this, the creator of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of all things is not recognized by the creation itself. They mock him. Notice verse 11 he came into his own and I take that to be his own people Jesus Christ came into his own people and those who were his own did not receive him brothers and sisters if Christ is not received by the people neither will you you are going to be strangers and aliens and what's going to cause you to go forward and to go through that is to is this dual it's this dual cause in your life that God has done. First, that God loves you. That gives me bravery. Does it give you bravery? Perfect love, what? Casts. What is it? Oh, I forgot. What? Perfect love casts out fear. When I am secure. In God's love, I am brave. Brothers and sisters, this is what John is preparing you for. That you would, when you come into a hostile world, you are secure in God's love. And because you are secure in God's love, now you have love to give out. Will it be trampled on? Yes. Will it be disdained? Yes. Will it be mocked? Yes. But you, you have this, Never-ending well of God's love upon your life that you can continue to give as you share the gospel. So number one, relish in God's love for you. Number two, hope in God's future for you. Hope in God's future for you. He says, beloved, now we are children of God. Not later, right now. That your new life begins now. Your true identity is not what you do for a living. Your true identity is not what your last name is or how much you earn. Your true identity is not human relationships you have. Your true identity is that you are a child of the living God. Now, here's a wonderful future that God has in store for you, that is secure for you. And it has not appeared as yet we shall be. Now, what he's talking about is there's a time in history... Right now, it doesn't appear as it should be. When God, excuse me, when man looks at us, we don't look very impressive. In fact, the, the giving of our time and of our resources and of our money and of all of our efforts and all of our strength that we give to the ministry, to Christ, is seen as a waste. You look like a fool when you go to work, right? When you share the love of Christ, they mock you, right? Because why? When they see you, they see you as someone who is, who is <coughs> unimpressive. You see, I'm a child of God. They, they look at you and they go, you don't look like it, right? You just look like <coughs> any other worker here. Any other student here? What John is talking about is there is a time in history when God's favor, when God's blessing, when your identity will be fully revealed. It will be shown to the world, and it will be shown to the universe. Okay. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> In part of the text that Mike read, Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 14. Thanks, brother. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. He says here, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Every Christian is spirit-led. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to adoption again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It is a natural response. We say, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Now, Paul is going to talk about the same thing that John is talking about. And the application is right here. He says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not compared to be are not to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us." In other words, now he's saying this. All the hardship that you go for Christ, okay? All the difficulties, all the relationships that are broken, okay? All of, even the financial problems, even the problems at work, even the problems at school, even the problems at the home, even the problems when, uh, when you are with other folks and they, and they deny who Christ is. All of those problems, he says, all of that, you can't even compare to what's going to happen. You can't even compare it. It doesn't even, it's not even on the scale. Of the glory that's to follow. And he says, well, what is that glory? That is to be revealed for us. Okay. Verse 19. For the anxious longing. Notice this is creation. Okay. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for what? What is it waiting for? What is the universe waiting for? The universe is waiting for you. Is that amazing? For the revealing of the sons of God. So when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, the whole universe is now groaning and the whole universe is now waiting to finally see who his people are. Waiting to finally see them as they normal as they should be seen. And it says, revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to the futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of spirit, even we we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation yearns for it. Creation cries out for it. Show us the sons of God. Finally reveal who they are, right? We are the people of God. And then it says, verse 23, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly. What does that mean? He says, you yourselves... Sometimes I just sit here and I watch the news. Have you guys been watching the news? I watch the news and I go, "Man, I'm tired of this." I'm so tired. I'm so done with this. I am so done. God is right, man is wrong. I am so done with this. When is it going to be over? What is that? That's actually a God-given desire. Look at it says here, "Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, God, will you finally come? Remember the last line in Revelation? Maranatha! Lord, come! Do it! Come now, God! I'm tired of this! I'm tired of evil uh, running the world! I'm tired of it! Come with your righteous judgment and show that we are your people finally! That desire that desire for the final vindication of Christ, of His people, is what we desire. Amen? Oh, I wait for that day. And where is it to be centered in? I don't think I'm going to get through this sermon. So I'm going to finish this. I'll just finish in point two. okay? We shall be like Him because... We shall see Him just as He is. This is wonderful. Now, this is the center of what we are hoping for. That not only are we going to see the Lord Jesus Christ, but your battle with sin will be over. We shall be like Him, that is, in conformity with Him. His holiness, His purity, His perfection Because now we're going to see Him with our mortal eyes. We're going to see Him with our physical eyes just as He is. Now, He is presently working in our lives. Romans chapter 8, He says that that we would grow to be conformed to Him. But let me show you what this means. In the end, right now, we've been saved. In our past, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. In this life, we're saved from the power of sin, okay? We don't have to be dominated over it, amen? We're not its slave anymore. We we can fight by the power of the Holy Spirit, by His Word. But in the future, brothers and sisters, you will be saved from the presence of sin. That is sweetness. We will see Him and we will be like Him, for we will see Him just as He is. Let me show you. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 20. You know what? It says, for our citizenship. Now, I'm an American, but my real citizenship is where? I'm in heaven. I'm a stranger here. You're a stranger if you're a believer. You are a stranger here. You have different culture, don't you? You have different uh, traditions. You have a different language. We talk about redemption, sanctification. We have a different course of life. We are strangers. We are aliens. And now he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he going to do to you, brothers and sisters? Oh, this is freeing he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself not only will he give us a new glorified body this is what i believe the text is saying but in that we will be in conformity with christ such that we will no longer sin do you hate when you come to sing songs to Christ and your mind is riddled with evil thoughts still? Do you hate when you come to read the Word of God or you start to pray and you still think wicked thoughts and you can't focus on the text? Do you hate when you are exhausted and tired and someone says one last thing and you snap at that person? Do you hate when when you still think about a wrong done to you and that bitterness wells up and you just continue to mull it over and pet it? Do you hate it when you want to serve Christ and your motivations are mixed up sometimes and you want your glory to be in it rather than the glory simply for Christ? Do you hate that? Do you hate it? Do you hate your inconsistencies, your sin? I hate it. I hate it. I hate that my heart is divided at times and I'm still fighting the idols in my heart. I hate it. Do you hate it, brothers and sisters? Let me tell you, it will be over. You will worship him purely. There will be no sin that will cross your mind anymore. And you will be, there are moments in your life, brothers and sisters, when you worship Christ and when you have fellowship with your brothers and sisters, that the times are so sweet you never want it to end. Amen? Those are just little tastes of what is to come. Those are just minuscule tastes. In heaven, it will be unending, undistracted fellowship with Christ and with his people forever and ever. So, if you're taking notes, you can write the free three privileges of the child of God is to Relish in God's love for you. Be convinced, brothers and sisters, you are children of God if you know Him. Number two, hope in God's future for you, and number three, pursue God's design for you, and that is to cleanse and to purify yourself. Rather than rather than saying, uh, "If I since I'm going to be pure in heaven, I might as well live any way I'm going to live on this earth." That's not what happens to the Christian. What happens to the Christian is knowing that they're going to be holy in heaven, completely done with sin, impels you in this life to live for him now. I want to live for him now. I want to please him right now. I want to fight my sin, and I need others to help me fight my sin right now. I'm going to purify myself now for his glory. Amen. These are your privileges, child of God, relish in God's love, hope in God's future and pursue God's design. Why don't we pray? Father in heaven, we are. Taken aback at your truth. And your love, we are. Reflecting on it and it's. We're ecstatic. We're in delight and in sweetness. And so, Father, we pray we would grow in in, in knowledge of your word, grow in Christ, but grow in, in intimacy with you and with each other for your glory. Help us to understand this love. May we be students of your love, and may we live out your love. In Jesus' name, amen.